Last week we incorporated kind of a new buzz phrase for this period of time in the church's life, and it was this, show up and love. How many of you thought about that throughout the week? Did anybody think about that? I hope we'll have a few more of you thinking about that because I'm not letting up on this, all right? We're to show up and we're to love. Now we have as a foundational verse, John chapter 13 and verse 35. I don't have it on the screen for you, but it's this. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. You can do everything else in the world, but if you don't love one another, people won't know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So that's one of the most important things. Aside from faith, we know that faith is a starting point of belonging to Christ. But the proof to the world is that you love one another. And so it especially, the Bible says, especially those who are of the household of faith, those who are in the church, other believers, we're to love each other. A lady was browsing down the aisles of her public library one day, and she had been single for quite some time. She was kind of feeling a little bit lonely, and she got all excited. She saw a book on the shelf with this title, How to Reach Men, Love Men, and Keep Men. Well, that thrilled her. She pulled that book off the shelf. She went and checked it out. She rushed home. She sat down, and she couldn't wait to begin this read. She was going to read it all in one day. But it was then that she was looking at the front cover instead of the side cover when it was on the shelf, and she got the full title, and here's what it read. How to Reach Men, Love Men, and Keep Men, a strategy for growing a men's Bible study class. (laughs) She was a little disappointed to read that. Now, she was searching for romantic love, and there's a place for romantic love. But what we're talking about here isn't romantic love. We're talking about the love of God that Jesus showed us when he came to this earth. We see here in John chapter 13 a great example of the love of Jesus when he washed his disciples' feet. So I hope that you'll follow along with me, John chapter 13, and find verse 1. And we're going to read all the way through verse 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel which he, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also wash my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? 
you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to watch, wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I think you ought to underline that verse 17. If you know them, blessed are you if you do them. You know, everyone wants to be blessed. Well, blessed are you if you do the things that Christ has given us uh, command to do and demonstrated for us how to do. Well, I want you to see three attributes of the love that Jesus showed us through this passage. As he demonstrated this to his disciples, it's a demonstration also to us of the love that we're to have if we're going to be a church that shows up and loves. We need to be a church that shows up and loves others as Christ has loved us. And here's how we can do it. First of all, I want you to see three attributes or three qualities of his love. The first one is this, true love, the love of Christ, is a selfless love. Jesus was very selfless in this example, in this uh, demonstration of love, and it was more than a demonstration. He was just acting on the love that he had for them. It was a true act of love. In Bible times, people traveled about. They wore sandals on their feet. The roads were dusty. The pathways were dirty. Their feet would get very dirty throughout the course of a day. And here they are in the evening time, they're in the upper room, and so their feet are dirty. They've had a long day. It's Passover. The streets would have been very dusty and dirty. Millions of people flooded into Jerusalem during the Passover time. So you can imagine how dusty and dirty everyone's feet would have been during that time. So they're in the upper room, and there would typically be a basin filled with water sitting aside an entryway during Bible days, where if you were to visit someone's home, you could wash your feet. You'd take your sandals off. you wash your feet before coming all the way into the home. In a more well-to-do type home, there would be a servant who would greet you at the door and invite you in, and they would kneel down on the ground, take your sandals from your feet, and they would wash your feet, and then they would take a towel that they had, and they would dry and buff your feet, and it was a good way to refresh you, to renew you, to reju rejuvenate you as you entered their home. What a great blessing it would be for someone to wash your feet. So we know in Bible days, in the days of the Lord Jesus, this was a common practice of great hospitality. A foot washing wasn't just meant to, to clean the dirt from your feet. It was a hospitable act. It was an act of kindness. It was a loving gesture to renew you, to refresh you. In this particular instance, where Jesus is meeting with his disciples in the upper room, there are no servants that we're hearing about. They're, they're not washing their feet. But they're in that upper room. They're sitting around the dinner table. And after supper, he takes off his outer garment and he lays it aside and he takes up a towel and he, he binds it around his waist. He girds it around his waist. A, a servant would do that. They would wear that kind of a towel and they would bind it around their waist. In fact, the word used here means a servant's towel. So here we have the master of all taking off his dressy garment for the day. He ties on this apron and he kneels down and he washes their dirty feet just as a servant would wash their dirty feet. 
these smelly feet of these disciples at the end of the day. I mean, you know how your feet smell and perhaps what they look like at the end of a day. Can you imagine the dirtiness? And they were washing, he was washing their dirty feet and he showed them that true love is selfless. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 says this about the Lord Jesus. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, in other words, God in the flesh, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, that is just like you and I, Uh, Being found in appearance just like we are, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death upon the cross. So Jesus is God. He He comes down to earth as man, God incarnate. He takes on the role of a bondservant. He serves and he shows us what it means to love one another. Jesus said he came to serve, not to be served. And here certainly an act of his loving kindness toward others. Maybe you remember Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, I remember old Howard Cosell when I was a little boy, I'd watch it on our black and white TV. Howard Cosell would be trying to interview Muhammad Ali after he'd win a fight. He couldn't even get a word in. Muhammad Ali would just stand there and grab the microphone, yell in the microphone, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest fighter that ever lived. Remember him saying that? I'm the greatest fighter that ever lived. I mean, you couldn't interview the guy. Why? Because he was the greatest and he wanted everybody to know he was the greatest. Well, you know, we love to boast. We love to boast. We're the best. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. I've got things going on, we say, these days. But you know, you can't have genuine love without humility. If you're trying to express love to people, but you don't have humility as part of your character, it is just a short-term act. There will be a cutoff point to it. That's what a lot of people do when they go on a mission trip. That's why they get so pumped up. They come back. They became selfless during that week. But they come back home. For some of them, it just, it just increases their love for people, increases their love for the Lord. While others, it was just something I did. Yes, it touched my heart and my life to be used of the Lord during that week, but it's over. <laughs> it's over. Next mission trip, five years down the road, maybe I'll become selfless and exercise humility once again. So sometimes humility is short term. We're talking about what Jesus did. It was long-term. It was an everlasting kind of love, and we're going to see that as we continue down in this sermon. You see, the Bible says love is not proud. Love does not boast. Love is not rude, and love is not self-seeking. It doesn't seek its own, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love extends itself. I said last week, the love of God comes in, But it's to work its way out. And the only direction it goes, it's not to come in and stay, it's to come out and it flows toward other people. And that happens as we perform acts of love and kindness to other people because of what God has done for us. Jesus said no to self when he went to the cross. He said no to self 
so that we might know the love that God has for us. So true love is marked by selflessness. You ought to write that in your margin there in this passage. Jesus demonstrated selfless love. The second thing I want you to see, the second quality is that it's marked by steadfastness. True love is steadfast. It was only a few hours before Jesus would go to the cross and be crucified. He would go to the garden and be arrested and then crucified. And verse 1 tells us he loved them to the end. He only knew them a few years. He ministered with them for a few years and taught them, but he loved them to the end. Most of us would probably be saying about that time up in the upper room, if we were him, we'd be saying that they're not washing, I'm not washing anyone's feet. I didn't show up for this. I mean, I'm the one about to be crucified. You guys ought to get down here and wash my feet for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, Jesus wasn't that way. He still loved his disciples to the end. That tells us real love is steadfast. Years ago when encyclopedias began to kind of come on the scene. Everybody, you know, it was a big deal to walk in the living room and see a bookshelf with a whole complete set of encyclopedias. So they were really growing in popularity. One encyclopedia took five pages to explain the meaning of love, but only four lines explaining what an atom was. When that same encyclopedia published a new revised edition just a few years later, this time they devoted five pages to explaining what the atom was and they left love out altogether. Around that same time period, there's a popular song lasting more than three decades and even within the last year, another popular singer whose name I, don't, I can't remember her name started making it popular again. But the song was, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Back in 1965, that song came out. We were sitting around listening to that in the office the other day, Rosalind and I, and I didn't know so many artists had sung that song. I remember the Carpenters singing it. Now I'm dating myself, right, in my gray hair. Some of y'all, back in 1965, y'all remember the uh, last name DeShannon was the one that sang that. Well, I was just two, all right, so I don't remember that one, all right. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. Remember that line? Psychiatrists and psychologists and sociologists, everybody's telling us, for, for years they've been saying, people's most basic need is to be loved, to feel that they're loved, but also to be able to somehow learn how to give love. But read what Jesus said in Matthew 22 verse 14 about what will happen as the end draws near. He said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You don't have to look around much today to see that we live in a culture in which we have abounding lawlessness and dwindling, dwindling love, don't we? Love is dwindling. So often we excuse ourselves from loving others. Some say, when I come to church, I come to church for me, not for everyone else. I mean, Pastor, you don't understand. When I come to church, it's a time for me to unwind after a big, long week before I have to head back to work on Monday and I don't need the pressure of serving everyone else when I show up. So I just don't sign up for anything. I just don't, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to, I'm not about going around greeting people. That's just not me. I'm here for me and for me alone. Well, I would tell you no one was under pressure more than Jesus was under pressure that night. 
When they left that upper room, he went and they went to a time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane there on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says he began to sweat drops of blood. He was literally under the weight of the sin of the world God had put on him. He felt that he was forsaken by holy God. He was under that kind of physical, emotional, spiritual anguish. The world was squeezing in on Jesus because of their sin. He's sweating drops of blood. So I would tell you, no one has experienced pressure like Jesus has experienced pressure. And when we show up to a time of gathering together in the Lord's name, we ought to be living like we belong to Him. And that example, He says, if you want others to know that you're His disciple, how do you do that? You love one another. You don't say, this is my time. I come just for me. No, you don't. You come here for those who are not yet here. We come for those who are not yet here because we've been called to reach them. And how do we reach them? We come, we worship the Lord, we learn from His Word, we let the Holy Spirit flood our lives, and, and then we leave here and we go look for people. That's what He's called us to do. I understand pressure, but I also understand calling, and the church is called to love one another. And when we come, we come for one another, not just for ourselves. The love of Jesus is a steadfast love. And because of that, our love for others ought to be steadfast or even increasing day to day, week to week. Well, the third quality that we see of His love is that true love is serving love. Jesus didn't just say, I come to serve and give my life a ransom for many. He didn't just say it with words. He literally did give His life a ransom for many. He loved the whole world. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but also in deed and in truth. In other words, the love that we demonstrate ought to be in truth. Not fake, not a facade. That means it has to come from the inside, am I right? Because when it comes from the inside, then it's true. If it's not coming from the inside, it's just a put on, it's just a fake. And so Jesus is doing something here in this passage. He is giving His disciples what they needed at the moment before He leaves. Before He leaves the world. Before He's killed. Let me tell you what love does. If you really love people, you'll not always give people what they want. In fact, you'll not always give them what they deserve. If you really love people, you'll give them what they need. My dad used to say to me, son, I'm tell you what you need. You need a good whooping. That's what you need. And I could hear that belt pop, 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 pop. Every belt loop coming out. Kids don't know that much today. Just pop, 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 pop. It didn't matter what I thought I needed most. I'd mouthed off too much about it. What I needed was a spanking. And most of the time my dad was right. The times I thought he wasn't right, he's probably still right. I was just thinking like a... 12 or 13 year old little punk, you know, and, and uh, I got what I deserved. I hadn't hurt from it, let me just tell you that. Dad was right. I wanted to have my own way. He could have given me what I wanted, but he gave me what I needed. Sometimes we want to give people what they deserve, but we don't. We give them what they need instead. If you love someone, you're not always going to give them what they want. If you love someone, neither will you always give them what they deserve. What did Judas deserve that night? 
He deserved to be put away. He deserved to be rejected. He went and he sold the Savior out for 30 pieces of silver to disclose his whereabouts. The devil had put that in his heart. The Lord Jesus knew that. But what's Jesus doing? He's washing his feet anyway. He loved him till the end. And these disciples really didn't deserve to have their feet washed by the king of all, the king of creation. I mean, they were... Wasn't long before they were arguing about who's the greatest. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? You know, they all wanted to know that they were going to be the greatest. They wanted to be tops. They wanted to be on top of the world. They wanted to be the head honcho, but Jesus is down washing their feet. They didn't deserve for him to wash their feet, but he did it. He gave them what they needed, and that's what true love does. True love is a serving love, not in word only by what we say, but also by what we do. Jack Howes used to be the pastor of First Baptist Church in Hammond, Louisiana. He had shared this story. He said he went to an airport restaurant one time to have breakfast, and the waitress asked him, would you like a menu? He said, uh, yes, madam, I'd like a menu. Would you like some coffee? He said, yes, madam. Are you ready to order? Yes, madam. She said, yes, madam, yes, madam, yes, madam. Is that all you know how to say is yes, madam? And she got off into a piffy mood and, and snappy with him. She brought his food out later and just slid it across the table and walked on by. Never even looked at him, didn't say a word. He didn't know what he'd done to make her mad, but she had a sour look on her face. When he got up to leave, he left a $10 bill for a tip. And that may not sound like a whole lot these days, but in those days it was a lot. Pretty large tip. And as he was walking out the door, she was cleaning up the table. She said, hey, you left some money on the table. He said, what's wrong? Don't people tip around here? She said, well, they don't tip like that. Is that for me? He said, yes, madam. She said, you're leaving me that large of a tip after the way that I've treated you this morning? He said, yes, madam. She said, why? He walked over and he said, because I can tell that you're hurting I can tell that something is wrong. And I felt like you could use a little bit of encouragement today. Maybe I was the one to help encourage you today. Maybe this would make your day go a little bit better. And at that, she began to cry. She said, Mr., you have no idea the problems I have right now. She said, my child is at home by himself because he was sick, and I can't miss work. She said, I have two jobs. I can't miss work. I'm worried about him. On the way to work, my car broke down. I was late for work, and that manager back there was yelling at me this morning because I was late, and he was having to wait some of the tables. She said, I was late. I got chewed out. I've got a sick kid. She was just a mess. He said, I knew you were hurting. He went over, and he sat down beside her, sat her down, and he told her about Jesus. And right there through all of the tears, he said she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, she didn't deserve to receive a tip. She deserved nothing. But instead of giving her what she deserved, he gave her what she needed. True love doesn't always give what people deserve. Judas didn't deserve to have Jesus wash his feet. The the disciples didn't deserve for Jesus to kneel down like a servant and wash their feet. He was the king of creation. He was their creator. He was their ransom for salvation. He was the blood sacrifice to die for them. He didn't 
they didn't deserve for him to bend down and wash their feet, but he was teaching them how to show up and love. That's what he was doing. We love others by serving others in a way that renews them and refreshes their spirit, if not reaches them for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why a lot of people don't go to church? Because they've been. They've been. And they didn't see a lot of love one for another. You see, when we come together, we ought to be showing up and loving one another. It doesn't always mean assuming that someone's had a terrible week, someone's had a bad day, everything's, every car's broke down, the kids are all sick. It doesn't always mean that, but I've learned this through the years. People, especially Baptists, have a way of putting on that Baptist smile. We smile and sing Amazing Grace, but on the inside, we're hurting sometimes. We just need a kind word. We just need someone willing to sit down next to us and say, how's it going? We need friends. They say people need at least seven friends at church. You know most church people have maybe two or three. How will new people come to this church and gain seven friends if we're not loving everyone? If we're not loving one another, how will they ever come back? I've always thought it was really awesome, an old song, and I didn't write this down and I can't give all the words to it now. Blessed be the ties that bind our hearts in Christian love. I think the last verse goes something like this. Oh, I wish I'd have thought of this earlier. Can you look that up for me? You got a hymnal there? Blessed be the ties that bind. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one. Our comforts and our cares. Now this is it. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. But we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Now I read that old hymn like that and I said, man, that ought to be the goal of the church. That we love one another so much, we can't wait to get back together. Instead of rush off from each other. Amen. Bless me that tie of mine. May my heart ought to ache till I get back to the body of Christ. That's the way it ought to be for us as the body of Christ. Let's get to that place where we leave here. We can't wait to get back again. Because people here love one another. Oh.